Well, good morning, Church at the Red Door. Hadn't been with you for a couple of weeks. It's good to be back. I'm uh, anticipating being with you the next couple of weeks. We're going to start a new little series uh, that, uh, you know, is a little bit uh, relatable in this modern day context of uh, the quarantines and all that stuff. And people say, why do you keep talking about that? Because that's all we get on the news. And so I'm sorry not to give you a little break from that, but I think uh, we can draw a beautiful modern day parallel today. And I want to talk to you a little bit uh, over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to try to draw this metaphor. And let me just say in advance, this is not a perfect metaphor, but it's a good one. You know, Jesus used parables. All parable means is that something that comes alongside something else in the spiritual dimension to help you get a picture of it. You know, the sower went out to sow, which was the kind of the foundation parable for all the parables. And the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. We get that in Matthew chapter 13. And I'm not going to do near as good a job as Jesus does, but I'm going to say this morning and next week, the kingdom of God is like, now you ready for this? A little bit of this bubble mentality that we have during this crazy time of this virus and we have no idea what the future holds the lord does obviously but professional sports teams have been just absolutely caving in i think financially and otherwise and the the public the consuming public you know people are running out of movies to they can't produce the movies so people are actually having to go back and watch old movies if i'm watching sports laura will walk into the room and go is that real or fake meaning Real means it's happening now. Fake means somehow it's happened in the past. You know, is that a real golf tournament or is that a fake golf tournament? But now, and, I, and I'm going to talk specifically about a little bit about the PGA Tour. They have a bubble around their players and the caddies and the media and all the essential workers. And the NBA as well. You know, the NBA has inaugurated this through uh, their commissioner, uh, this uh, Silver. That It's amazing. They've gone down to Florida. They've flown the top teams in to try to finish their season and uh, no crowds nobody can be there and it's amazing so they've all kind of camped out at Disney World and uh, they're taking over the hotels down there and they've created this in a sense a quarantine a separation uh, of this bubble and they're going to try to finish out their seasons, play the playoffs, and do all that kind of thing. And you just get these reports from inside the bubble and outside the bubble. And I, I, think the, I think the NBA has probably done much better than anybody else. Obviously, they've been able to do it. But it's taken a lot of planning and, and the precautions and the number of times that they're tested in and out and constantly for the COVID-19 deal. And they're constantly being tested. Uh, the media is constantly being tested, anybody in that bubble. And what's really funny, quite frankly, is that and I, they had the first uh, game this uh, on Friday, I think it was on Thursday night, and uh, they had the very first game, and, and it was uh, had the Lakers and the Clippers, and uh, you had this big game. And on the sides, they've created these big screens. They've got some kind of fake crowd noise. They have some pictures of people watching on these different screens to kind of fill in something I actually wish I had with you. I wish I had some of you that I could put on a laptop or something behind and I could see you watching as we did this and it would be pretty amazing. But that's kind of what they had up and down the courts and in the and and it was, you know, it was something. It was a product and people are so hungry to have something to do. They're they're tuning in. But a lot of financial things uh, go into this and financial considerations and you know, quite frankly, they did a reasonable job. Now, how is that, you might ask, how is that even remotely comparative to the kingdom of heaven? Well, again, it is not a perfect metaphor. 
Let me just tell you that in the kingdom, there's not bad food. They're complaining of, you know, limited food selection. In the kingdom, in a spiritual sense, the food is amazing. In fact, we're going to feast on some of that food today. Uh, and doing the will of God, Jesus says, and that's my food, and the word is food, and, and give us this day our daily bread. So uh, that's not exactly right. And there's a few other things that are uh, not, you know, exactly the same. I mean, obviously, we're not separated always from our physical family in the kingdom. And so it's not a perfect metaphor, but I think it's, I think it's good enough. So we're going to start this morning in Corinthians, and I'm going to have Blair and Chrissy, and I'm going to have them read this passage of scripture that Paul talks about in his second letter, and then we're going to try to break it down and see if we can't glean something from this, and I, and I think we'll be able to. So Blair and Chrissy, take it away. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Good morning, everyone. I am Blair Armstrong, and this is my wife, Chrissy Armstrong. Hope that you're having a great day today. Uh, we are located here in beautiful Palm Desert, California, where we're going to have a most comfortable temperature of 115 degrees today. Cannot wait to get outside. And when I say that, I'm completely kidding. But with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to my wife, Chrissy, and she's got our scripture for us today. Hi, everybody. We miss you all so much. This has been especially hard for us because the nature of our business doesn't allow us to attend church during season. So we always look forward to going to church during the summer and seeing everybody. So we've missed seeing you all. But thank you to all the pastors and the entire team for keeping this yeah, going on live sure. stream because it's so wonderful to be connected. Um, today's scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Thank you, everyone. Again, Pastor Jeff, thank you for having us today. Completely honored to be in this position. For all of those, of those that we don't see each other, excuse me, uh, I hope that you remain healthy. Stay safe, but most of all, God bless. Have a great, great day. God bless you all. Thank you so much for having us today, and we hope to see you soon, and we hope that your families and you are all staying safe yeah. and healthy and well. God bless you. God bless. Well, thanks, you two. I, I miss seeing you two, and it's uh, so good to have you kind of with the family this morning reading that passage. You know, it's a unique passage. You know, come out and be separate. What Paul is really doing is he's drawing on the prophets, and it's kind of a compilation of a number of passages that talk about come out, be separate. Uh, one of the primary places would be Isaiah 52, verse 11, and uh, they haven't gone into Babylonian captivity. Israel hasn't, but he's already seeing a future when they will come out of Babylon. They haven't even gone into captivity yet, not the time that Isaiah is writing this, but they will come out eventually, and he's essentially saying, you know, to the priests, don't bring your stuff with you, and let's now let's do it for our metaphor. Don't bring the stuff from outside the bubble inside the bubble. Don't touch what is unclean, and uh, and that. And so this it, this Isaiah is kind of relying back on some of the the priestly responsibilities for purity and for people to be pure. And one of those places is Deuteronomy, where it talks about uh, this strange red heifer and how that's cleansing and it's kind of a it's a very interesting insight into all this and we're going to look at that a little bit this morning so Isaiah is relying on the Levitical law 
uh, those things that were spoken to Moses about how Israel should operate. And again, all these folks, catch this, all these are pictures and glimpses into Jesus. You can understand, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus. Moses is, is writing and taking, uh, as a scribe, taking down the things that God's uh, implementing for Israel 1,500, roughly 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. So this is an amazing picture of Jesus that's going to emerge, and I think it'll fit right into our metaphor. So I'm going to take you now to Numbers chapter 19. So again, Isaiah is relying on Numbers written 800 years before, and there's a few things we want to get to at this point, and then we'll come back, circle back to it a little bit later this morning and get this full picture. So Numbers, I'm going to just read verses 5, 14, and 16. And this is going to deal with people who have touched dead things, priests or others who have touched a corpse or something, and they are now ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, and they're unclean, and they need to be quarantine. So catch verses 5, 14, 16. It says, the one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. Now in the NBA, uh, there's been a guy on the Clippers who went to, left the bubble, went out to a funeral, I think it's for his grandmother, grandfather or something, went to a funeral, got somebody, a rapper took a picture of him at a gentleman's club. It's the least gentlemanly thing I can imagine someone doing. A gentleman's club and he said he just went in there to pick up some chicken wings. Maybe so. He said it's his favorite restaurant and all that. But anyway, now he's got to return to the bubble. And they say, uh-uh, we, we saw the picture of you snapped. You went outside our protocol. And now you are uh, unclean, so to speak. He's tested. He's negative. But he's still got to be quarantined. Could be asymptomatic. Could Got to be quarantined for 10 days back inside the bubble. And he misses the first two games. Clippers lose by like one or two points in their first game against the Lakers. This is one of the key players. I mean, what's going on here? Well, he's he's gone off protocol, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. If you, it's very specific. Don't touch anything that's dead. It says uh, this is the law: when a man dies in a tent, verse fourteen, everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent she'll be unclean for seven days. So if he was around family or other, some media personnel, they came back into the media, uh, into the bubble, and I know family's not allowed, but if that were to happen, they also would be unclean. Also, anyone who is in the open field touches one who has been slain with a sword or has died naturally or a human bone or even a grave shall be unclean for seven days. So again, this is what Paul, uh, Isaiah is drawing on as he looks into Babylon. This cleanliness in God's eyes. In other words, don't touch those things that come out of Babylon Don't that you're going to bring back. Don't touch any of that. Don't touch dead corpses. God's very interested in dead things. Why? Or things that are outside the bubble. And don't bring those things, don't bring all that into the bubble. Don't bring it into the kingdom. And why is that? Why this separation? Well, God is making a stance here, I think. And what he's saying is, is that I hate death. I hate the separation of the soul and the body. You know, we're not, we're not living in a place of duality like some of the Stoics, like the body's a bad thing. No, God created our physical being to house our spirits and our souls. And in that way, he hates the separation. God hates death. God's making a declarative statement here. I hate, I hate death. 
in all of its forms, not just literal physical death, but spiritual death. You'll remember Paul's admonition to the Ephesians. We've talked about it. We've talked about it many times. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Look, what does the outside the bubble look look like metaphorically? Well, it's dead things. It's dead people, spiritually speaking. Now, people are offended by that. You're talking about I'm spiritually dead. I'm a good guy. I've got a lot going for me. I've built a big business. Uh, Look, the Bible says that if you are not reconnected through Christ to the Father, the creator of all things, you are, spiritually speaking, you are dead. Now, many questions I'm sure immediately emerge. Are you saying that we don't have any interaction? We talked about this a number of weeks back. Uh, Do we not have any interaction? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to understand that outside the bubble, there is a virus of sin that rages. And what God's telling us as the church, he said, don't bring that nonsense inside the bubble. Don't bring that nonsense inside the bubble. So we know that these dead things live outside the bubble, these ostensibly alive things. You've been made alive in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. They're living things, spiritually speaking, inside the bubble. And we're going to look at this a little bit more in depth. Now, before we do, I think it's important to see that how do you get in and out of the bubble? Well, there are tests to get in and out of the bubble. The coronavirus test, the uh, all kinds of, you know, taking your temperature. Are they asymptomatic? Are they displaying any symptoms? All these different things. And it's so difficult. I, I had a friend, one of one of our CRD folks uh, this week, uh, and he said, I, I was tested positive for COVID twice, and I was also tested negative twice. We're, they don't even know. So, you know, you can be positive and be negative or get a negative reading and be positive. It's just unbelievable. We don't understand all the testing. But this is a little bit that way. Some testing is always in order for Christians. It just is. Let's look at this. Okay. Uh, How do you self-test? Well, first of all, we're admonished to self-test. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith or in the bubble. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus is in you? unless indeed you fail the test. I mean, so the Bible tells us, Paul's very clear, we need to test ourselves. Are we in the bubble? Are we outside the bubble? Let me also say this. You can be right in the middle of church activity, but be spiritually dead. I mean, that's one of the things we know. In fact, that's one of the things that the world is constantly frustrated in. They look inside the church, they see hypocrisy, and then they, well, you know, we are all in some ways hypocritical and none of us are perfect. But just some real clear hypocrisy, people that clearly are not inside the bubble, do not believe in Jesus, could never behave in the ways that they're behaving if they were actually followers of Jesus. It's just a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, and a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. So not, and that's important that Jesus said that in Matthew 7. So, uh, and I'm not talking about, we all fall short, and there's no question about it, but I'm talking about a settled disposition in sin, and you can be right in the middle of church, and uh, and you haven't tested yourself. You think you're in the bubble, but you're in fact living somewhere outside the bubble. Now, First Thessalonians five twenty one, same thing. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. We're constantly be able to examine everything. Examine what we're told. Examine the the theology that we're listening to. Are we listening to biblical theology? Are we? Or have it, has it been mixed with some poisonous uh, 
uh, casts uh, over here. There's little, these little roots and tendrils that come in and creep into the church, and all of a sudden we're not talking about Jesus Christ crucified, and we're not, and yet we still have Christian moniker outside of our on our little uh, display outside of our churches, and or a picture of a cross, and yet we never talk about the cross. I mean, so we have to be cautious. We need to test everything, examine everything. Second Peter, chapter one, verse ten and eleven. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you to come inside the bubble or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom, this this eternal bubble that will then eventually completely, it will be no bubble, it will take over all the cosmos uh, and be forever free from the infection of sin. And of our Lord and Savior Jesus will be abundantly supplied to you. So here's the question. I'm going to have four tests for you this morning. Here's where we're going with this. And then next week, prayerfully, we'll look at what happens inside the bubble and outside the bubble and how do we know whether we're inside the bubble. So we're, but we're going to talk about four tests and then what are what is the inside and the outside of the bubble look like and we'll look at that next week. So four tests. Test number one. You ready for this? What does your fruit look like? This is a self-test. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a self-test, all right? What does your fruit look like? Examine your life. Don't, don't just rely on, well, I do these religious things or I have this, uh, you know, I, I go to church or I give a lot of money. Fruit is different than just activity, religious activity. Fruit is different. Listen to Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. Uh, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Think, now that's the eternal, you know, bubble, or even now. Why? Because he does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Religious activity. In your name we cast out demons. Unbelievable religious activity. And in your name we performed many miracles. Unbelievable religious activity. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here's the point. Test number one, look at the fruit in your life. Is there connection with the vine? Is there connection with Jesus? Do you talk to Jesus on an ongoing, ongoing basis? Could you look someone in the eye and say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus? And what does that mean? I talk, I, I, he speaks to me in my spirit, I know it. I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and as a result, his life begins to flow through me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's clear. I, Yeah, I passed number one. There's no question about it. I passed this test. I am in the bubble as a function of my relationship with Jesus, not my religious activity. What no, Test number two. What about just practice? I mean, let's take the NBA bubble. Okay, so those guys showed up well in advance of uh, the kickoff this last week. Uh, I guess not kickoff, the, the tossing the ball up to, in, the very, in the beginning. But uh, they, they were engaged in hardcore practice. I mean, are, are you engaged in the practice of your faith, which would include getting rid of sin in your life, making sure you're not infected or you're not bringing infection in, do you practice a holy life? Jesus was clear. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Be holy. Be 
holy? Are you in the pursuit, practice-wise, of pursuing holiness? It's pretty clear. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. You've got to make sure you are passing this self-examination, this self-test. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who's out on the court analogously dribbling, the guy who's out there in bunker shots and getting ready for the tournament inside the bubble, well, it's these that are righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. The devil's activities should be outside the bubble, right? Are you practicing inside the bubble or are you practicing sin outside the bubble? Are you complicit with Satan's activities in the world? Are you on board with Jesus' always missional activities in the world? The question is, are you practicing? Do you practice your faith, are you practicing righteousness? I mean, that's the question. Again, we're making a distinction between just religious activity and the pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the question. Question number, test number two. Now, test number three, test number three. Excuses. You know, do you find yourself always making excuses? You know, it comes to the kingdom, Somebody asks you to do something, eh, there's always an excuse why you can't do it. You're the last person to volunteer. You're the last person to... There's just always something... Excuses. Let me tell you something. That is a sign that your heart may be set on the wrong things. Now, look, I get asked to do a lot. I have to say no to a lot. But I'm saying yes to a lot. And I'm very aggressive about desiring to not only practice uh, in terms of pursuit of righteousness but to really practice what it means to be a follower and a servant, a bond slave of Jesus. You know, Luke 14, a lot of people have excuses for never coming into the bubble. And listen to what some of these excuses are in a parable Jesus told in Luke 14. We'll start here in verse 16. It says, now again, a parable. This is a parable. Jesus, uh, Jesus is teaching. He says, uh, he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited uh, many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Sounds like an invitation into the bubble. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, well, you know, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and, and look at it. I, I call this, this is the money excuse. You know, this is, I got, you, don't you realize I run a business? Don't you realize I don't have time for all this stuff, this Jesus stuff? I have got too much going on, man. I've got, look, I. this is a piece of land. It's a big deal. Uh, please consider me excused. Another one said, well, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go try them out. That's the work excuse, right? And I'm just too busy, you know. I, it's not just money. I'm just too busy. I'm tied up in so many different things. And I just bought these, uh, I bought these uh, oxen here and I just don't have time. Please consider me excused. And another one says, well, I've married a wife, right? This is a family excuse. You know, Jesus was pretty clear as he related, as it relates to following me. Comparatively, you must hate father, mother, brother, and sister on account of me. People were saying, I, one guy says, I got to go bury my dad. He's like, look, you have no part of me. You follow me first. Jesus was trying to make it so clear 
that if you want to be inside the kingdom bubble, if you want a real relationship with me, I have to be priority number one, not family, not work, not money, nothing. That's the parable Jesus is telling here. And for that reason, I can't come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. And the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. You know, the gospel keeps going. It, you may have made an excuse somewhere along the way. Maybe you come to church, but you've never really made Jesus the top priority in your life. And as a result, you're engaged in religious activities, but never really entered the bubble, never really gone inside. And, and as a result, you still live in that infectious world out there that's so caved in with sin and you've actually actually become part of it, the spirit of it, right? It still lives too vibrantly inside you. We have to be cautious. Now, again, this was in some ways for the nation of Israel. Look, it came to you and they all made excuses, so now it's gonna go to the Gentiles. It's gonna go to the end of the world. I'm going, now I'm going into the streets and the lanes. And then, of course, the next one, verse 22, and the slave said, well, what you've commanded been done and there's still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges. I mean, even take it to the crazy Gentiles and compel them to come in so that my house might be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Look, the world is full of excuses not to enter the bubble, the kingdom bubble, Zion, the where, where the presence of God lives. We'd rather stay in Babylon or Egypt and God's saying, come out of Babylon. Don't touch those things. Be separate. Be separate. You know, come out of there. And I'll make you family. Make you family. Now, before you get too concerned here, now you should be concerned. I mean, this should grab you. You may be a person who has internally made all kinds of excuses, though you may be practicing some religious activity. This is a very grace-filled parable that Jesus says, tells in Matthew 21. It's a parable of two sons. What do you think, uh, verse 28 through 32, Matthew 21, what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, hey, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he says, I won't do it. But afterwards, he regretted it and he went. And the man came to the second and said the same thing. He says, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said, well, the first one did. And Jesus said, truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will enter into the kingdom, read bubble, before you, for John came to you in a way of righteousness and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe and you seeing this didn't even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe in him. Let me tell you something. If you've been one of those people and you find yourself, you know, I've just said no to God over and over and over. Jesus telling a parable but you can, but you then turn and you, through Christ, enter the bubble? He's saying, now who did the will of the Father? Some of you said, I will, I will, but in reality, you're living your life outside the bubble. You are not passing these tests. Now, that's the third test. The final test uh, we're gonna talk about a little bit this morning is the test of the conscience. The test of the conscience. How do we know? Again, we're called to self-test, examine everything, really see, let's examine our lives. Bible's clear about that. Now I wanna examine myself and I wanna look at this conscience issue and as a result, we're gonna then close it and go back to that red heifer and give you some incredible hope and hope that uh, many of you need after a message like this. 
Test number four, the conscience. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. Listen to this. We will know that by this we are of the truth, okay? And will assure our heart before him. In other words, how do we know? How do, how do we know that we are a follower of Jesus? In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, in other words, if our conscience isn't killing us, then we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. You know, once you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, your conscience will prick you if you move outside the bubble. Now, you can harden your heart to that eventually and you won't even be able to see it. We've done a study in Proverbs on this too. There's a certain place at which you're not even able to discern knowledge anymore. When you practice tomfoolery long enough, you practice those and harbor those secret sins, you just aren't even able to discern truth anymore. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. But the beauty of this is we will assure ourselves. So listen to your conscience. Are you sensitive to your own conscience? And we'll call that, again, the activity, the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 1 John chapter 5, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may have eternal life. Uh, so those are the four primary test. Now, what I want to do in closing here is I want to go into this, I want to go, I want to circle back to this Numbers uh, chapter 19 passage. So it's, it's about 20 or so verses. And I'm going to say, I'm going to break it down for you and then I'm going to give you some thoughts on it. It's an amazing story and it's what I would call modern day quarantine. So we picked up a few verses and now let's, let's go back and really look at that story more fully. So what was the ordinance of the red heifer? Okay, so the red heifer, God told, again, told Moses, said, look, if, again, as we saw earlier, if someone, if a priest or someone touches a corpse, anything dead, then they have to be, they have to be purified. And here's what I want you to do. Here's the process by which you go from outside the bubble back inside the bubble, and it is a glorious picture of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you the story without reading all, because it's kind of uh, arduous to read this. It's beautiful, uh, and I, I would suggest you do it, but let me just tell it to you in, in a little bit quicker way. So what happens is they were to take a red heifer, unblemished, never had a yoke put on it. Uh, so this was obviously a, a uh, not had never been impregnated. This is a, a young heifer. They were to take this red heifer, supposed to be red, and that, that's I think that's filled with symbolism for us. Uh, it's a picture of blood always uh, through the Bible, as we've seen that scarlet thread run throughout redemptive history, Old Testament, starting in Genesis three all the way to the end, where Jesus comes back clothed in, a, in a garments with blood. So that blood speaks volumes about God's plan of restoration. That's important to see. So they were to take this red heifer, they were to take it outside the camp, which is very significant because the Bible, we know that Jesus suffered outside the camp. He suffered inside, but he also suffered outside the camp. And they were to take it outside the camp. The priest was to slaughter it. And then they were to burn it with fire. Now, here's what's fascinating about the story is that while this fire was going, they were to throw three different things in with this burning heifer. And in all of it, it's entrails everything, everything that had been slaughtered. They were to throw in cedar wood. You can read it for yourself. 
they were to throw in a scar, some scarlet wool and some hyssop. Those three things, as this red heifer, having been slaughtered, was burning, they were to throw all these implements in, and then they were to wait until it was completely exhausted, left with nothing but ashes. Then they were to take those ashes, and they were to bring it back in and mix it with water, and then the sprinkling of this new water of purification, as it was called, would be used to see that people were uh, ceremonially clean again. These priests would be ceremonially clean. Say, so well, what, what does that have to do with us? Why is that relevant? Because it was all speaking of Jesus. All of it was speaking of Jesus. Now, what, what is this? What import does this have for us? Well, it's very significant. To get out from outside the bubble, the pathway is very clear. It's, in this case, the red heifer. Now, you've got to realize, what, what was the purpose of throwing? Well, God is certainly the God of creation. So we know now, they couldn't have understood it in its fullness then, hyssop has some properties that uh, uh, make it very effective to fight infection. Well, we know that. So God, we, God knows the, um, the world of the microorganisms. He knows that. And there's a literal application that may have had some purifying effect. But I think that was a sidebar to something that's much deeper. What were the three things that were thrown in with this red heifer? Well, cedar wood. What is that a picture of? And by the way, these three things were also present in the cleansing of the house of a leper in Leviticus chapter 14. So what is so significant about that? Cedar wood, what is that a picture of? I believe with many theologians that that's a picture of the cross. What's the, well, what's the hyssop? Well, what happened when Jesus was on the cross, right before he said it's finished, they took a hyssop branch and they put some sour wine on it and they lifted it up to his lips and then basically right after that, he said, it is finished. Hyssop was present. The cross is present. And then, of course, scarlet wool. Well, we see scarlet wool all over the place. First of all, we see scarlet uh, in terms of the in terms of the curtains in the temple, we see scarlet. Uh, Jesus was clothed in a scarlet robe as he was being beaten in the praetorium and a crown of thorns was thrust down on his head. We see the, that picture well in advance of Jesus as we looked at uh, a number of months back with Rahab, the scarlet thread that was hung outside of her window. We see this picture of scarlet, this blood picture, this thread that runs throughout redemptive history and here we see it again the scarlet wool tossed in why I mean, it seems so arbitrary unless unless god was seeing our day and seeing this picture of the kingdom how do you enter from outside the bubble to inside the kingdom bubble you have to go through the sacrifice of the red heifer is it really was it ever really about the red heifer let me be clear, and I want to turn you now to Hebrews chapter 9. Listen to Paul's language. He brings up this red heifer. Now, again, there were the lamb, there was the ram in the bush. There, we get so many pictures. There are many different sacrifices, and Jesus is the epicenter of all the sacrifices, but this is one more specific sacrifice, the ordinance of the red heifer. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. If the blood of goats and bulls, now catch this, and the ashes of a heifer. That's what he's referring to. He's referring to Numbers chapter 19. The ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, 
sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your what? Your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Look, test four is the issue of conscience. What can cleanse a conscience? Well, I tell you exactly what can cleanse a conscience, and we get a picture of it with the ashes of the heifer. Now, it's very interesting, and, and again, I hope I can get, I hope I can communicate this in a way, because this is a little bit, the language here is a little bit archaic, but if you'll bear with me, uh, J.M. Gibson has a, an amazing picture here in one of his commentaries as it relates to Numbers 19. Bear with me, and I'll try to explain it as we go along. And then this will be our close. <clears throat> the special feature of this new ordinance, speaking of the red heifer ordinance, is in the means taken to make one sacrifice available for an indefinite number of cases. Now this is powerful. Now think about it. So here's the slaughter of an animal. And normally people had to bring a dove or an animal or a lamb or something over Passover and it was sacrificed and then they did things for the nation, etc. But now it seems like one heifer and the ashes are now taking and it will sanctify or cleanse an indefinite number of people for an indefinite number, a period of time. That's what he's going to say here. This is important to understand because many of you say, well, now my conscience is killing me and I, I feel like, am I not saved again? I'm outside the bubble. Am I going to go to hell? I mean, all these different kinds of things. Listen, catch this. This is an incredible picture of grace, what God has given us. He said this was done by the concentration, so to speak, of all the elements of the sacrifice in the ashes, which were to be preserved. Here we have this explanation of a casting into the midst of the burning heifer, cedar wood, as we just discussed, hyssop, and this scarlet. It's such a strange thing. He said these represent the appliances for sprinkling the hyssop stock with scarlet wool wrapped around it, fastened on a piece of cedar wood, which was held in the hand. By the casting of these into the burning, the idea of sprinkling was, as it were, a perpetual, perpetuated in the ashes, which were the uh, uh, residue of the whole. These ashes could, of course, be preserved and used for an indefinite time. And each time they were used, the ideas which had, so to speak, been burnt into them would be impressed upon the minds and hearts of the devout. Now, what did, what did he just say? He said these ashes... Now, we're going to be used indefinitely. I mean, it's one thing to sacrifice an animal once, but it's something else to have these, this perpetual use of these ashes could be used. I mean, you just have to put a few of these ashes in some water, and, and boy, you just be cleansed over and over and over and over again. It says, the ashes then represented the power of the past sacrifice. Even in its ashes live its former fires. The use of running water with the ashes has the same significance as in the ritual of the cleansing of the leper in Leviticus 14. Now catch this. In making application of the ordinance of the red heifer to ourselves, we find it specially instructive in regard to the restoration of our communion with God. Maybe in your heart you say, I, I fail these tests. I mean, my conscience is killing me. I, I'm practicing? I'm not practicing. I, I, I find myself... Most of my activities are outside the bubble. I'm infected with sin, and I, maybe I'm even struggling with this idea. 
He says, now catch this. He says, we find it instructive in regard to the restoration of the communion with God, which ought to be the chief joy of the Christian and which is too often broken by the contracting of stains. So difficult to avoid with sin reigning in death all around us, you know. We got death all around us. This little bubble they have in Orlando or on each tour site. I mean, and then the world is raging around them. All, much of it is infected. I mean, they're actually in Orlando, Florida, one of the epicenters of, of where the uh, infection is raining right now. This is, these circumstances feel peculiarly discouraging. He says they have, the, they have the impression that it must be exceedingly difficult to get back to their former position, to get back into the bubble. And then this is what he says in closing. They remember how long it took them at first to be reconciled to God, and they think how much more difficult it must be now that this evil has been allowed after the experience of God's saving grace. It seems a long and hard way back, and they really don't even have the courage to begin to try to enter that bubble again. And again, I'm using my language there. Listen to what he says. This is a huge mistake. The way back again is, is not long and hard. There are the ashes of the heifer and the running water close at hand. They need be, there need be no delay, as if a new animal must be obtained or brought to the priests and killed at the altar and so forth. There is a shorter way. Look back to the sacrifice offered long ago, once and for all. There is the running water of the word, which has it in it, as it were, the solution, the strong ashes of the sacrifice. Therefore, evermore is stored the virtue of that blood, which cleanseth from all sin. There need be no delay. For the ashes and the water, we have the cross and the word, and all that is wanted is the immediate use of God's perpetual statute for purifying the unclean. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, this is not a long road back. If you find yourself not passing these tests, what do you do today? You go straight back in a, in a figurative way and you think about that red heifer. That red heifer symbolized Jesus. The blood and the cross and even the hiss, down to the hyssop and, and the scarlet wool, all were present. You mix that with a washing of the water with the word, which is what we're doing, or, or maybe even baptism for you if you've not been baptized. You know, the Bible says that it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's the appeal to God for a what? A clean conscience. You know, come back. The message today for you, if you are find yourself living, practicing outside the bubble, it's not a long road. You just embrace Jesus, his blood shed on behalf of you. You, you get ceremonial, ceremonially re-cleansed. You come back in and you're part of the kingdom. Look, this is a glorious picture. I mean, I hope you get this. I mean, you know, this, this clipper, he came back in, it's 10 days, and he's, he's gonna be back on the court. It's not a long road back. Yeah, he made a ridiculous mistake, but he'll be back on the court. He'll, he'll go through the testing, he'll be back on the court. Let me tell you something, folks. You can be back on the court right now, and I'm gonna close this in prayer before I turn it over to Paul for communion. And then we'll look again next week at again uh, some of these attributes of inside the bubble and outside the bubble, and then again, we'll finish with a grace-filled picture. Let me pray. Father, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for our community. We are church at the red door. 
Our doorway is covered in blood. Why? Because everything, entry into the kingdom is always through the shed blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. You've always loved us, but you're able to deal with us differently now. Why? Because what Jesus did on the cross. You loved us when we were in sin. You loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. You've always loved us, but now through what Christ has done, and our faith into that. You can deal with us as family and don't have to deal with us as the enemy. So Father, I just pray if there's anybody out there that says, Lord, I, I have failed these tests or one, two, three, or all four of them. And I am asking you to cleanse me. I, I, wanna, I wanna leave, I wanna go back into this, into this kingdom bubble. And as we'll see next week, which is really then not to hide away and be sequestered, but to be actually a city on a hill broadcast all over the world for the world to see our games being played. And Lord, I pray that, that you would do that in people's hearts and they would have the confidence and the sacrifice of Jesus, the ultimate red heifer, and they would come back into the kingdom. So anyway, I, it's been good to be back with you. I'm excited again. We're going to go into a little bit more detail about what inside of the bubble activities look like and what outside the bubble activities look like. And you might be surprised at some of the things that we discover through the text. So anyway, I love you. I'll turn this back over to Paul and we'll close with communion this morning.